Hey guys, and welcome to Biblio Banter. Natalia here, and I am lucky to interview a bunch of really nice people from the Department of Digital Humanities of Stuttgart University. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Annika, and I studied Digital Humanities uh, recently. I just finished my thesis. Hello, my name is Tim. I also just recently finished my studies in Digital Humanities at the University of Stuttgart. Yeah, I'm Anton, and I yeah I studied Digital Humanities as well. And I'm kind of in the middle of my thesis now. And Thank you, guys. So we have a Digital Humanities Anonymous meeting today, sort of. Not that anonymous, um, obviously. But let me give you a quick background. Why am I making these people talk to me today? Basically, two years ago, when I was studying at Münster University, we had a workshop with our partner university of Leiden. And while our university is more theory oriented, our partners came from digital humanities department. And as I mentioned, Münster University is very theoretical and somewhat old-fashioned. So for us, when we first heard as master students that there is a department of digital humanities, we couldn't really guess what that would mean, how far is it different from what we study in our humanities. And I think this is why I'm going to interrogate a couple of people today for all of us to have a better understanding if there are any differences and does it actually matter. So, before we continue, let us take a look at your backgrounds. What have you guys studied before? I studied uh, yeah, German literature and linguistics and a bit, bit of cultural studies uh, in my bachelor. And yeah, that's my background. Um, I did my bachelor's degree in theater, media and film studies in Vienna and then moved to Stuttgart for digital humanities. I did um, comparative literary studies in Tübingen and English studies, yeah. All right. So as we can see, it's quite flexible to be in humanities because you always get to switch from one field to another. So as we are talking about digital humanities, my first question to you guys as people who basically graduated or are in the process of graduating would be, what is digital humanities? Tim. I guess digital humanities is a field in which Humanities are studied with digital methods, mostly, I guess. Maybe also digital, like media, are studied. Some people consider that digital humanities too, but I don't think it, that's like the, the catch. I think it's more like working with digital methods to analyze literature. I think with what also should be mentioned is that it can be the same questions that you ask, but you just use way more data. I feel like that's the thing. So you, you use much more data, huger corpuses, but answer typical humanities questions and use some digital tools for that. Um, yeah, and you have something like a, a wider perspective um, to the to the object. Yeah, you, you look at big data and you, you aren't uh, that close uh, to the to your object like in uh, traditional humanities. So I understand it as we as traditional humanities shouldn't be scared of you because a lot of us have an impression that digital humanities is the future. And basically from what I hear from you, it's more of a present. So it's things that are nowadays already available to us. Maybe you could also um, give us a little bit of uh, background about your research projects because I already know from Anika a few secrets about her project that she's going to defend soon and I'd like to just to hear it from all of you to have a better understanding 
of what it entails to do a humanities research with digital tools. I mean, it doesn't mean just having a laptop, right? Um, so what I did is using movie posters as my objects of analysis. I did a shorter classification of movie posters based on their colors, which means that I trained an algorithm to learn, like, to predict what genre a movie poster is just based on the colors. So I had color histograms as input and the genres as input and then I had an algorithm that could predict like okay this poster looks like that so it must be that genre. And it worked quite well actually, I was very happy with the results. Yeah, my project was kind of similar in the methods I used. I, uh, I also did a classification, uh, automatic classification with machine learning methods. Um, but for me, it was text as an input. So I studied collaborative digital fiction um, at the example of the SCP Foundation, which is kind of a X-Files creepypasta style um, yeah, collaborative project. We're definitely going to link it in a blog post, so check it out. Yeah, and, and uh, these texts, they, have, uh, you, they are tagged by users with content tags, so to say, and... Um, yeah, I try to automatically predict um, the text based on the content of the text or just based on the text. And I compared different methods to turn text into numbers to achieve this and different machine learning models to achieve this also. I, I had, uh, for example, an interesting project at the uh, EDS Mannheim Institute für Deutsche Sprache, where we um, worked with a big, um, a big corpus for spoken language. And uh, we tried to automatically find some uh, part of speech tagging uh, for this uh, uh, spoken language so um, yeah that was a cool project it does sound really cool because it reminds me also of a few projects i worked on mainly corpus linguistics and then i think all right so i kind of also dipped a finger in digital humanities a bit while compiling a language corpus for nigerian english but i also hear how some of the hardcore humanities students and scholars now sort of sizzle when hearing things like turning text into numbers because for a lot of us especially in traditional humanities it just it sounds like not something you should do could you also tell me a few words about your department is it old uh, has it always been around or did it evolve out of some other things okay um, so the department um, started off as a branch of the Literary Studies Department and uh, they started in 2015 with the master's program that we're in. So we're all from the second year of Digital Humanities, so to say. Thank you. And a quick question. Do you have your classes or lectures in English or in German? German. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it in German, yeah. There were some computer science classes that were in English. We had that with like the computer linguistics people, so yeah. Yeah, I'm asking this just because it's kind of interesting because as my department is an English department and we basically had all of our classes in masters in English, it was interesting to me for me to figure out that here they mostly do this in German. Did you guys write your papers, your final papers in English or German? Did you get to choose the language? I think we had the opportunity to write them in English, but none of us like chose to do that. I think everyone wrote in German. 
um, which was kind of weird because <laughs> so many of the words in like that topic are English. So I, I find it kind of hard sometimes. Like the sentences were weird when you're like, classification, clustering, and stuff like that. It, it sounds kind of weird, but yeah. And this is just a comment too when they complain about too many anglicisms in German. Um, well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you can't really play around it. Uh, what subjects did you guys have? What what does it entail to be a master in digital humanities? It was divided in three parts, I would say. Like we went deeper into our bachelor subjects. Then we had some subjects that were especially for us, so digital humanities stuff, which was things like reflection of digital humanities. So we also talked about if it makes sense and stuff. <laughs> and then we had the computer science stuff which was also with other students of computational linguistics so speaking about then basically job market after our studies of course if you don't stay at university you go sort of in private sector or just basically go to look for work and in this case as you guys are quite heavy on computer sciences what advantages does your field give you over people who do pure computer sciences um, yeah, I think it's difficult. Uh, it's a difficult question because um, you don't really have uh, this clear direction and you kind of have to decide on your own. Yeah, if, if you want to do things like uh, software development or IT or web design going in this direction. So if you if you don't want to do it, to go the academic uh, way or if you like classical uh, go um, work in the in the publishing industry or um, in some kind of journalism or the, the humanities uh, jobs and yeah I, I think what we learned uh, was to be open for many things to to learn on our own uh, for example the programming language that we need for our uh, questions and yeah to, to be open to those new developments speaking about programming languages um, how like do you, did you get to learn several I, I don't actually generally know if computer science majors learn more than one or do you choose one to specialize on i don't know how exactly that is with the computer science people but i guess they also have like specialization fields where they then kind of learn the languages that are, that are important for their fields and stuff um we in digital humanities we all learn in stuttgart learn uh, python in the first semester for data analysis and stuff and text processing and also there's always like points of uh, the language R, which is used for statistical computing, mainly not, it's not so much used as, as like a programming language other than for data analysis and statistics stuff. And then we also, we touched some techniques that have to do with files, with XML files and all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, I think there are several specializations that you can choose. Also speaking about your projects, so you mentioned you work a lot on text analysis or cover, like image analysis in this case, and especially Annika, question for you. Could we use the same tools that you used for your research for book covers? For example, if we talk about publishing, would it make sense to analyze book covers with the same tools? And if yes, <laughs> what would it bring us? as publishers and as readers. Yeah, it obviously would be possible to do that. I just don't really know if it would be that useful because I feel like the point with movie posters is that they're an advertisement tool and you you see them on the streets and stuff and it's like you have to get what the tone of the movie is by just looking at it 
for like two seconds. So that is like the theoretical background why I wanted to analyze that if like if that's the case, like if you have to know what it's about and like just one look, then the color has to say something about the movie. Um, and with book covers, I feel like you you allow yourself more time to look at it before you decide if you want to buy it. It's not like you see book covers on the street. So it's more like you decide to go to a shop and you look at it. I, don't know, I mean, it's still the case that like thriller and horror covers are like dark. And I mean, you could obviously analyze that and find out that it's the case. But the thing with my project is also that I don't know if it's it sounds so negative but it is if it is so useful because <laughs> it's kind of also more evidence that the techniques work like a lot of digital humanities stuff is showing that you can use digital tools to find out stuff but it's not like the results are that groundbreaking so in my case i don't think that what i found out is like wow oh my god <laughs> i mean it's still cool and it's it showed that it works that you can use that much data because I had like 40,000 movie posters and and like to show patterns and everything is pretty cool but I don't think that it's like groundbreaking and that like designers would profit from it like I don't really I don't really think so <laughs> Tim your project actually deals with literature and the production of literary texts can you see any similar application to your project in literary studies maybe um, in general, I think that the whole methodology that I used, yeah, the whole methods and stuff, they um, they kind of transfer to other digital collaborative fiction or kind of tagged texts, tagged literary texts or tagged te texts in general. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think every like fan fiction site that has some kind of user tags or something, I know they have like elaborate uh, tag systems and stuff, some sites. Yeah, I think all that kind of Everywhere where there's literary text that is kind of tagged with um, with some labels, yeah, you could use that methodology for analyzing. Also, a friend of ours, uh, Lisa Marie, shout out to Lisa Marie Rodaike. She wrote a paper on tagging in fan fiction in particular, how this works and how simple users kind of influence uh, basically literary production in this context. Anton. You have to sort of help me here again. What was your project? Um, yeah, it was about um, how can we find a, a way to to deal with uh, spoken language, to find part of speech text or a new part of speech text uh, that we uh, don't have in, in, in written language. In the end, for uh, linguistic research, to, to make it easy uh, to deal with a spoken language corpus by using this new part of speech tagging or this new sort of segmentation for spoken language. Yeah. Wow, my inner linguist just is trembling with excitement because yeah, I was just slowly realizing, yes, what kind of implications this work has. And basically this can also be um, developed further into speech recognition and whatnot. Right, this is actually, yeah, it's the project that makes so much sense nowadays. Thank you for sharing, but I'd like us to still sort of go back to the traditional bookish conversations and before we play a game and yes we're gonna play a game today and this is not a new game but you're still gonna enjoy it i wanted to ask you about some book recommendations because i know anika that you have just finished reading a book of an author who was nominated 
to multiple prizes for uh, different novels. And I was, I'm just really curious about some good book ideas from you guys. So the book Natalia was talking about was Conversations with Friends um, from Sally Rooney. And I liked the book, but I wasn't as impressed by it as I thought I'd be. Like I heard so much good stuff about it. It was, it was good. It was good. Yeah. But what I liked about it was that I hated the protagonist at first. I absolutely hated her, but I learned to like her throughout the book. And that doesn't happen to me a lot. Like that was a very interesting experience. Yeah, so that's what I really liked about it, but I wasn't as impressed by it. So that's And uh, so Sally Rooney was also nominated for Women's Prize for Fiction and Costa Award with her other novel, Normal People. Okay, so the next book I'm gonna recommend is from Benedict Wells. It's a German author, but the book got translated into English because it was so successful. So it's called From Ende der Einsamkeit in German and The End of Loneliness, I think, <laughs> in English. And it's just... It's beautiful <laughs> because it's about people and about how they feel and that's that's just the stories that I love like just what people are doing and thinking <laughs> but the story kind of is just they some siblings who lost their parents at a very young age and how that influenced them throughout their life it's pretty much a whole life story and also a love story <laughs> and it's it's just beautiful so yeah that sounds good yeah it's amazing <laughs> Um, another book that I finished recently is The Color of Milk by Nell Leeson, which was good, but I totally recommend not to read what it is about because it told me way too much, which, which kind of ruined it for me because I absolutely knew how it was gonna end just by reading what it is about. And I hate that. I mean, I hate that in trailers for movies <laughs> so much because always the best parts are always in there. And I feel like the book totally also did that. But if you don't know what it's, what, what it's gonna happen at the end, that's really cool. Yeah, maybe this is a good idea also for some other students of digital humanities to develop a tool or an algorithm that would teach publishers and editors to write a good summary a good book description that wouldn't give out too much because yeah i know it's always annoying when you read it and in the end you just know it what's it gonna be thank you very much for your recommendations who would like to continue <laughs> yeah I, i haven't read that much recently but i'm a big fan currently of um cesar aira uh, he's an author from argentina and yeah he, he's writing um, very short novels maybe about 100 pages for a book yeah he, he wrote already uh, a lot of them it's crazy very funny and um, always a playful um, way of storytelling and Tim um, I guess I don't have any recent <laughs> recommendations because I didn't read anything recent in like years probably right, so yeah. no uh, <laughs> so I don't know what to recommend because I try to catch up a little bit on some classic literature so to say so one of the uh, last things i read was actually the name of the rose which is kind of <laughs> a lame recommendation somehow because everyone knows about it. but uh, I, i think uh, if you haven't read it you can always pick that up and read it because it's very special and very very interesting and you learn a lot and it's still kind of thrilling too so I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the name of the rose is also kind of special for us as humanities students. It's a special book. It's a special film with Sean Connery. It's, it's I think the problem with this is also you should either read a book or watch a movie because 
of this detective line of it like when the book pretends to be a crime fiction basically detective story sort of when you know it in the end you don't feel so interested in reading a book as I am because I have only watched the movie because in my department we had a sort of movie night events when we would watch bookish movies <laughs> and uh, one of the films we watched was The Name of the Rose that I watched before I read the book and I haven't read the book yet because I basically know what's it going to be about or do you think it still makes sense to read it after you've seen it? I think it still makes sense because I don't think the crime stories I don't think it's that much like the main part of the plot I mean it is kind of the main plot but um, there's so much else going on there's so much stuff to kind of learn while you're reading uh, about how church worked basically back then and stuff so I mean for me that was kind of new all, all of that and also there's uh, a lot of conversations that are really interesting to read and yeah I don't think that being spoiled with the crime part of the story is that bad I mean I think you can still very much enjoy the book thank you very much I think we are gonna round up our digital humanities part discussion thank you guys for telling us a little bit more about it so now we're not that scared of the competition basically and before we get to our game i wanted to ask you guys what would be your guiding word to people who choose to go for digital humanities like the newbies of digital humanities just don't be scared of the coding part like it's very tough at first like the first semester i was i was sad <laughs> because it was so much i mean i didn't have any experience beforehand so it was absolutely new to me but it it starts to make sense so it's okay it's gonna be okay i think this is uh, like all of us want to hear that yeah. that's exactly the perfect words that it's gonna be okay <laughs> right and so now we're moving on to the fun part because <laughs> it wasn't fun before <laughs> sorry and so the game we're going to play today is something you have already heard and sort of seen on our podcast. It's cheese or font or font or cheese. Let me quickly explain you the rules. Basically, I'm going to give you the word and you have to decide, is it font or cheese? And we're going to do this one by one. And it's also time limited. So you have five minutes and then we see how many of these do you have correct. Uh, also in advance, I apologize for mispronouncing any French looking or sounding word because I'm physically incapable of pr pronouncing things French. Ready? Go. Castelmanio? I would say it's a font, but I don't know. Yeah, font. <laughs> uh, I say cheese, definitely. Okay, yeah, so you said font and it was wrong. It, it was a cheese. And uh, so this app is actually gonna give us some funny comments. For example, clearly you've never tasted Castelmanio cheese. <laughs> All right, the next word is charm. Uh, it's a font. It's definitely a font. I'd say it's a font. And you're correct. <laughs> the next one is dueling. Um, a font. Sorry, it's a cheese. Oh. Ambert? It's a font. It's a font. So dueling is a town in Ireland that produces the cheese. All right. I don't really know. I don't know at all how to pronounce, pronounce the next one. So we're going to skip it. And the next one too. Bambo. That's a cheese. Cheese. It was a font. Oh, I'm really bad. The next one is Malvern. Uh, it's a font, yeah. That was a cheese, by the way. What? <laughs> so the next one is Piora. Piora? Uh, I think it's um, it's a cheese. Pretty sure. It sounds like a cheese, so I'm gonna say it's a font. 
<laughs> so I was like a cheese and I'm gonna say it's a cheese <laughs> <laughs> makes sense guys so it was a cheese uh, so the next one is again something French Gerbigny Gerbigny <laughs> uh, Font Cheese Cheese And that's a cheese yes. Good job The next one is Acanthus Oh it's my favorite cheese <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite font actually <laughs> uh, It's a font And it is a font yes. <laughs> So the next one is Venaco um, This is a font No, it's a cheese. <laughs> For fun's sake, it's a cheese. Yes. So the next word is Rudelsberg. Um, yeah, it's a favorite German cheese. <laughs> it's my second favorite cheese. I think it's some kind of weird font. Nobody uses. Oh, cheese and rice. It's a font. No. It does sound like a cheese, though. Like like a place in Germany where they would make it. Uh, so the next one is Penbrenn. Um, that's a popular font. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, I feel like you guys know it. And it actually was a cheese. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 and the next word is cretino. Um, cheese. It's a really tasty font. No, it's a cheese. <laughs> cretino is a font, believe it or not. It's a really tasty font, like I said. <laughs> and the next word is buffalo. That's a font. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably font. Ah, uh, yeah, font. And we'll never know that because I just pressed the wrong button and it kind of switched off. I think it sounds like a font to me. All right, so you've got 20% correct, but then it also counted the rest of them as not answered. So I don't think it's accurate. It's also going to be linked in our blog again. And if you want to see or hear us play this game, check out our episode on typography, because we play this with the Bibliobanter team. All right, so guys, any other comments on fonts? <laughs> By the way, what's your favorite font? I really like Verdana. I like Garamond for print. I also like Cheramo, the cheese. It's really good. <laughs> Yeah, comic sense. <laughs> one up for comic sense. All right. Thank you very much, guys. It was nice having you here. Thank you for indulging me with this conversation and sharing amazing coffee with Bayless. Shout out to Laura here. She knows why. And thank you for listening. And we'll hear you next time with Biblia Banter. Bye. <laughs>